The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, here in the name of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. And as always, we want to welcome the people who are tuning in online and especially welcome our visitors this morning. We're always grateful to have you with us. And if you don't know our church, we are a people being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. So if you want to know more about the Springs or if you want to talk with us about taking the next step in your journey with Jesus or maybe even just starting that journey with Jesus, we'd love to talk to you after service this morning. But we're grateful that you're with us. And we're grateful that you're here to jump into our study in the letter of James, Wisdom from Above. We've had four sermons in this book so far, and we've got this morning's and then just two more before we wrap up the book of James. So you can always go back and hear previous sermons online on our website, thesprings.cc, or you can go to our podcast as well. But we're going to be in James chapter 3 this morning, verses 13 through 18 together. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we give thanks for your word, for your word of life that upholds us in existence at every moment, and for your word that gathers us here this morning, the word that has called us to worship you. God, we are here this morning, humbly answering that call, singing praises to you. Lord, we pray for your edification of this body. We pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In March 2019, a year before COVID shut down the country, there was a big splash in the news called Operation Varsity Blues. You might remember that was the FBI code name for the case in which they indicted over 50 people, the largest college admissions scandal ever prosecuted by the U.S. Justice Department. You'll remember that there were coaches from Yale and Georgetown and USC who were indicted. There were parents, TV celebrities and stars, wealthy people who were trying to bribe their children's way into America's top universities. And at the heart of this scandal was William Rick Singer. 
Rick, who ran this business, this scam, and basically in his words said, we help the wealthiest kids in the nation get into our best schools. And this made quite a splash, you'll recall, if you remember this time, because they had done things like faking learning disabilities so that their kids could have longer time to take the ACT and SAT exams. They did this by photoshopping their kids' faces on the bodies of other students trying to pass them off as athletes. And they did it by paying millions and millions of dollars in bribes, all to secure a spot at our most elite educational institutions. Now, why did they do this? What was the motivation here? How did they justify this to themselves? Maybe they justified it to themselves the way many of us who are parents can justify almost anything to ourselves, that we want what's best for our kids. But then again, remember, these are the kids of very wealthy, successful, even famous people, kids who already probably have a leg up on the competition. So where did these actions come from? Well, perhaps they came from what James describes this morning and what all of us, parent and non-parent alike, have experienced in our lives, jealousy and selfish ambition. It doesn't matter all that much if you're the daughter of a TV star if the other daughter of the TV star went to Harvard, right? Jealousy and selfish ambition are just a brute fact of fallen human existence, right? We, we want to seek more. We, we want to reach higher. We want more digits in our bank account. We want more letters after our name. We want to reach such high heights that when we are finally laid low in the grave, our gravestone will bear a name that means something, a name that is famous. But that's not what James thinks of as high. James also uses this kind of spatial metaphor throughout the book we've seen so far, right? That, that God exalts the poor, but it's the rich who are demoted. James talks about, in our passage this morning, a wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual and demonic and a wisdom that is from above. And James describes this wisdom that comes down from God, the Father of heavenly lights. And he calls us to live by this wisdom from above that rejects the world's hierarchies. And we find ourselves once again this morning asking James, how? So let's figure that out together as we jump back into our text in James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If the books of the Bible were American states, James would be Missouri. You know where I'm going with this. You remember the Missouri state nickname, the show me state, right? Show me, let me see the evidence, let me see the proof, show me. That's James all the time, it's the show me letter. Remember last week when Ben was preaching about faith and works and James says, okay, you say you have faith, show me. Let me see it. I have faith. I'll show you by my good works. Show me. 
We get that again this morning in verse 13. He says, you're wise and understanding by your good conduct. Show me in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Remember, we've been surprised to find that as we journey through James together, we're kind of simultaneously journeying through the Sermon on the Mount as well. We've been seeing so many connections between the teachings of James and the teachings of Jesus. And you'll recall that Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And in verse 5 of Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus doesn't say the rich and famous will inherit the earth. He doesn't say the highly educated children of celebrities will inherit the earth. He says the meek will inherit the earth. And Jesus goes on later to describe himself with that very word in Matthew 11. He says, I'm I'm gentle or meek and humble. I'm meek and lowly at heart. This is what James describes as the wisdom from above. That wisdom is shown in the meekness of our good conduct. And that meekness is how we receive wisdom. Right? Meekness is the character of the Jesus wisdom that God gives us. Wisdom is not something we can selfishly achieve, it's something we meekly receive. It's not something we selfishly achieve. It's something we meekly receive as a gift from God. Remember in James chapter 1, how he says that if any of you are lacking wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. And then a little bit later in verse 21, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Wisdom is a gift from God. God says, you want wisdom? Ask me for it. I give generously, ungrudgingly. If you want wisdom, earnestly seek it. Ask and you shall receive wisdom from God. And it's this wisdom that is displayed in our meekness of good conduct. It's this wisdom that we embody when we live it out in our actual lives. Michael Visegrad was a Jewish theologian who was born in Berlin and then moved to Brooklyn in 1939. And it was there that his dad enrolled him in a Yiddish-speaking Orthodox day school. And Michael talks about several of the rabbis that had a great impression on him, that their spiritual presence was so powerful that it stuck with him for many decades of his life. And he singles out one of them, Rabbi Hyman, and I was struck by the way he talks about this rabbi. He said, through him, I came to appreciate the part of the Torah that cannot be written down, but transmitted only in the being of the person whose everyday conduct exemplifies it. Some of you have known people like that. Some of those people are are sitting in this room, people who have so embodied God's wisdom, have so embodied the Jesus way that they've, they've shown that meekness of conduct in ways that can't be captured or codified in the regular ways. They've so embodied God's instruction, his Torah, his his wisdom in their daily lives. 
It's as Richard Bauckham says in his book on James. He says, wisdom is the God-given ability of the transformed heart to discern and to practice God's will. So that's what God's wisdom looks like. That's wisdom from above. But before we can talk more about wisdom from above, James is going to show us this earthly spiritual wisdom, the counter to God's wisdom. And he continues to show that in verses 14 and 15. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says, don't don't boast if inside it's driven by selfishness and jealousy. This is the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. And I'm reminded of what Logan read this morning from Mark chapter 12. Right where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees who love to walk around in long flowing robes, who love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love the best seat of honor at the banquet. And Jesus says, but they're devouring widows' houses. Jesus says, inside, they're poisoned with hypocrisy. Right? And Jesus will go on to critique them in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside also may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and of all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus says, don't put on this outward show of honor and wisdom when inside there's, there's the filth of selfish ambition." Right, he says, if you're, if you're focusing on this outward-facing achievement of reaching the heights, then on the inside, your wires are crossed. One of the bloodiest battles in world history is the Battle of Stalingrad. Maybe you heard about that one from World War II. This was a battle that took place over six months from about August 1942 to February 1943, and it was Germany and their allies against the Soviets basically fighting for control of the city of Stalingrad in southern Russia. And there was an interesting thing that happened at the beginning of this battle as these German tanks, this unit of tanks, were sitting outside the city waiting to be called to the front lines. Because when they were called to the front lines, when they were desperately needed, something happened that surprised many people Almost none of them worked. There was 104 German tanks in this unit, and less than 20 of them were operable. It didn't take the engineers long to figure out what had happened, as they'd been sitting outside in the grasslands in reserve for weeks. Mice had crawled inside, nested in these German tanks, and eaten away at the electrical insulation. And Morgan Housel writes about this little incident. He says, the Germans had the most sophisticated equipment in the world, yet there they were defeated by mice. 
When we boast about our worldly exploits, when we show our honors, even though they're fueled by selfish ambition and jealousy, we're like a German tank that's been beat by a mouse. All right, on the outside, we look impressive. On the outside to the world, we look powerful. But on the inside, measured against God's wisdom, our insides have been eaten out. And so James tells us that this is the wisdom from below. And he goes on to describe it. Let's read verses 14 to 16. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The wisdom that operates from below is the wisdom of scarcity. It's the the wisdom of a dog-eat-dog, zero-sum world in which there's a closed system of resources, so when you have more, I have less. And so in James chapter 2, that's why we favor the people who can show us favors, because maybe they can pull us up to their platform of winning. That's why in James chapter 2, We say, go, be warm and well-fed instead of actually sacrificing our resources for our brother and sister. That's when we're operating on the wisdom from below, the wisdom of scarcity, the wisdom that tells me that how much I have is who I am. I have, therefore I am. And when I have more, I am more. When you have more than me, I am less. This is the wisdom powered by selfish ambition and envy that says, no, use that envy to drive to the highest of heights. There's a philosopher in the 19th century named Friedrich Nietzsche, and he's had quite an impact on our thought in the West. And he wrote this book called Beyond Good and Evil, where he's kind of talking about basically an aristocracy where a society could be ruled by the elites, right? Because he wants us to strive as humans to reach the highest heights, right? To be focusing on the will to power. And Nietzsche says this in that book. He says, a good and healthy aristocracy should therefore accept with a good conscience the sacrifice of a legion of individuals who for its sake must be suppressed and reduced to imperfect men, to slaves and instruments. Its fundamental belief must be precisely that society is not allowed to exist for its own sake, but only as a foundation and scaffolding, by means of which a select class of beings may be able to elevate themselves to their higher duties and in general to a higher existence. This is a worldly view of what is high. High performance, high achievers, higher education, high powered, high income. This is the world's view of high and low. But James reveals it for what it is, reveals it for its inward filth, 
reveals it for its unspiritual, demonic, eating one another kind of nature. And he points us to something better. Having descended to this wisdom from below, James brings us back up to what is truly the wisdom of God coming down from above. And he describes it in verses 17 and 18. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I just love the description of of wisdom in this passage. And I long for a Christianity that fully embodies this kind of wisdom in our conversations with one another, in our dealings with each other, in our posture towards outsiders in the world. What if we really were embodying in our, carrying around in our being this pure and gentle, peaceable wisdom, open to reason? What if we embodied that in our lives online? It's not typically what the world seems to reward. It's not what social media rewards, right? Social media likes its wisdom polluted and contentious and salacious and extreme. Not open to reason, but vindictive. What would it mean for us to really embody this wisdom from above? It would have to begin with meekness. It would have to begin where everything begins for James with the person of Jesus. Jesus who describes himself that he is meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The world thinks our highest existence is fueled by selfish ambition and jealousy and striving, but Jesus shows us and James shows us that wisdom from above begins with the lowly Lord. Wisdom from above begins with the lowly Lord, with this great reversal we keep talking about where God exalts the lowly because those are the ones who have received his wisdom as a perfect gift from on high. Wisdom from above begins with the lowly Lord. It's not the kind of wisdom that might land us a job on Madison Avenue. It's not necessarily the wisdom that will fuel a career on Sunset Boulevard. It's not a wisdom that might catapult us to the world's greatest heights. But it is the wisdom that James says is a gift of God. It is a wisdom that leads to a harvest of righteousness and peace. And it might lead us to very quiet lives. It might lead us to lives that don't make a big splash, but to lives that are peaceable and faithful. Lives that sound like the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy. Remember how Paul says that, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. 
This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. About a decade before Friedrich Nietzsche wrote, there was a book, a novel that was published called Middlemarch, and it was written by Mary Ann Evans, who actually wrote under a male pseudonym, George Eliot. And one of the main characters in this book is named Dorothea, and we follow her all the way through the book, and finally, in the book's final chapter, in the last pages, Dorothea's kind of settled into this virtuous life, a noble existence, but nothing incredibly wildly successful, just a humble kind of family life. And she says in the book's final sentences, she says to her husband, she says, the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. The wisdom from above is a wisdom that begins with the lowly Lord and it's a wisdom that may lead us to live quiet lives of faithfulness. It may lead us towards hidden lives, lives that don't reach the world's highest heights, but lives that lead us ultimately even to rest in unvisited tombs. But church, followers of Jesus are not afraid of unvisited tombs. Followers of Jesus are not afraid to rest in unvisited tombs because we believe that one day the power and salvation of God will visit our tombs and that those unvisited tombs will wind up empty and that the God who elevates the lowly, the God who demotes the powerful is the God who will visit us with the glory and splendor of eternal life with him. That's where the wisdom from above leads. It comes down as a gift from the Father of heavenly lights who embodies, who carries around in his being the way of wisdom in the meek and lowly Savior, Jesus. Let's praise that meek and lowly Savior together this morning, Springs Church.